Welcome back to the Inner Work Podcast. I'm Yasmin. And I'm Uswa. And this season, we're doing something different. We started Inner Work to take people along our journey of learning how to practice better allyship. In season one, we explored different ideas around allyship and what we found was that we always ended up talking about our feelings and emotions towards them. Yeah, so this season, we're just going to embrace that. And every episode, we're going to bring you two emotions that are opposite from one another. And we're going to talk about that in the context of equity and allyship. And we're starting off this season with a set of feelings that I think a lot of us have felt, loneliness and belonging. Yeah, and so when we're thinking about season two, we really wanted to try and rethink the ways that we're learning. I mean, the reason we started this podcast is because we wanted other people to learn with us. Mm -hmm. And what better way to do that than just talking about the emotions that everyone feels? Right. And I think when you look at like equity concepts and the way that they're taught, like we do trainings all the time at Ally Squared, they're always based on these theories or something that like these situations that happen in the world, like whether we're talking about microaggressions in the workplace or what we'll be talking about a little later today, which is tokenism. I think always we talk about how we feel, right? We feel lonely, we feel sad, we feel alienated, all of those kinds of things. But we don't always center the conversations using those feelings. They just kind of come as a byproduct. Yeah, absolutely. I think talking about how we feel and connecting it more to um, human experiences and really we base all of our reactions and everything that we do around how we feel. Yeah. And I think maybe if we, you know, my hope is with this season, if we recenter them around our feelings, what we'll be able to do ourselves is discover thing, how things affect us, mm-hmm. you know? And that's so important. We don't get to unpack that as much all the time. And then the other thing is show other folks who maybe don't have the same lived experiences as us how a small thing or what is considered a small thing can make such a big impact. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's also what we wanted to get into this season as well is, um, you know, other people just learning from each other and making the learning more accessible and more um, realistic for people. Yeah. And that's kind of what you gave a really good preview of what we have in store for us, which is a lot of people who wouldn't be considered like guests in any other podcast concept because, you know, it's not like they're professionals yet in their field or anything, but we're young people. All of Ally Squared is young people. Actually, a lot of our community is also young people. And I think we're always discounted in terms of, you know, the things that we've learned along the way. I think our generation had to pick up stuff very, very quickly just because of what not only the labor market looks like, but also what, you know, society looks like around us. And so this season, we really, really want to learn from other young people. And so you're going to hear more personal stories. You're going to hear more, you know, lived experiences. You're going to hear more sometimes hard things, you know, Mm -hmm. and sometimes really happy, funny things because you and I have that good mix of things like that. Yeah. And we're also going to hear more from the Ally Squared team members Mm -hmm. and, you know, personal friends that we have and more personal relationships that we have. And it's going to be a lot more of a, a, a personal journey for us as well. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think this is a good time. Um, you and I are living together. Yes, so we are. We now have a space where we can record by a video, which is awesome. Yep. Um, it's you, me, and our little doggy. Yeah. And so <laughs> I think this is a good time in our life to be able to dive into those things. Yeah. I feel it in my bones. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so let's dive into today's two emotions, which are loneliness and belonging. And we're talking about that in the context of representation and what that means. So I think something that I was thinking of when we started talking about this episode is like, you know, have you ever been in a circumstance where you've walked into a room and you felt like no one looks like me, no one thinks like me, no one has the same mission in life as me, you know, I don't have like my people. So I think you know that I have definitely felt this way more so in the context of when I walk into a room of primarily South Asians, Pakistanis to be specific. If we go to a store or I go visit your family even, um, I can feel sometimes very out of place. Mm -hmm. I feel like I look very out of place. People don't realize that I'm Pakistani. People don't realize I can understand what they're saying. Um, And then in the reverse, I can just imagine what it would be like to be a person of color walking into a primarily white workplace. Mm -hmm. Or you've expressed to me that, you know, where we live, there's a lot of, it's predominantly white where Mm -hmm. we live right now. And um, that can feel very daunting for you. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, I think, you know, it's really interesting that you talk about it, like, in a social space, because when I think about it, it's more about the, you know, formal workplace professional space. And so I'm wondering what it feels like in the room for you when you're part of a culture group, because you're Pakistani, um, but not looking like you're part of that culture group. My biggest thing is always feeling like people don't understand where I'm from or who I am Mm -hmm. and knowing that people are making assumptions about me. So, for example, I remember us last Eid, we were going to your family's um, lunch and, you know, we were wearing our box sunny clothes and having Mm -hmm. a great time. And I said to you, I always feel like people are looking at me like I'm that girl that's been dressed up by her friend. Yeah. Right? So that's kind of where it's rooted for me in just the people don't know me and they make the assumption about me. Yeah. It's a good thing. I mean, I'm really glad you talked about assumptions because I think that's at the heart of what tokenism does too is like assuming that because someone looks a certain way they have certain values or they are a certain way Mm -hmm. and i think that's the danger of like any kind of prejudice comes from assumption too right i think it can be very very alienating because it's about the core of your personality Mm -hmm. i think for me when i started my career there were so many spaces, social and professional, where I just sat there and I was like, I don't want to be the only person that looks like me. And even if I'm not the only person that looks like me, I don't want to be the brown girl pretending to be a white girl kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like I had to be because 
some of the other brand girls were being like that or if I was the only person in that space, it's a survival instinct. Right. And I think where loneliness comes in is being around so many people and not feeling like, you know, you're getting that social energy, you're getting that love, you're getting what we're going to talk about later, which is belonging. And I think the effects that it had on me was really just demoralizing in terms of my career. Like thinking that I'm only going to get to a certain point up the like, you know, professional ladder because all the other people that look like me only get to that point. Like I remember I was working at one job where all of the like head managers and supervisors and leadership was white Mm -hmm. and everyone underneath like the, you know, the project supervisors or like anyone at that level was racialized. And all of the students, again, like because they were picked by the managers, were white except for me. Mm. And so I could see it so clearly. And it was a job that I really loved, but I, I left that job and I didn't pursue it again. Like I didn't pursue another contract with it because I was like, I don't think I can come into a space every day feeling like I'm fighting to prove myself just because I look a certain way mm-hmm. and then seeing everyone else that looks different and knowing that that's not going to change. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like an unspoken or maybe sometimes spoken behind my back alliance kind of thing of these are the only type of people we're going to promote and we're going to give opportunities to. So I think loneliness has really affected the way that I pursue opportunities now. Um, I currently work for a place that has a lot more racialized people and I don't feel like, you know, and and not just racialized people, but racialized people who have the same mission as me, like social mission as me. So I don't feel as much like, you know, I have to pretend to be someone else or I have to talk a different way or, you know, I can't use the, the idioms that I use on my regular life or the slang that I use on my regular life and the impact from that versus what I currently am in is incredibly stark in that I've seen myself speak up more. I see myself like wanting to engage in the work that I do. I see myself also like contradicting other people more and saying, you know, I actually respectfully disagree with you on this and feeling like it's okay to because it's not my identity at stake. You know, mm. I think that that makes a really big impact. Yeah. So it's interesting that you talk more about the workplace, whereas my experience is a little more social. Mm-hmm. Would you say that you have felt those things in social settings or it's predominantly workplace settings? No, social settings too. I mean, like going from the greater Toronto area and going from a high school, as you know, that was very brown mm. to not to say that I actually ever felt included in amongst brown people either. But that's I think that's not related to my identity as much and who it's more my personality. Um, but going from the greater Toronto area where a lot of people look like me to Ottawa, where it's, I think like 67% or something like that, 42, there's some number in there, percent white. So Mm -hmm. predominantly white compared to other groups. And then the program I'm in, I was in political science is a lot of, you know, cisgendered white men, right. Who want to be the next, politician right and so feeling like where where do I fit in this like what am I in this future role 10 years from now with all these people in the same sector as I am 
where am I compared to all of these people? Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. So I think socially, yes. And then like going to hang out with those same people and just like hearing the kind of conversations they have about social issues mm-hmm. as if, you know, they're problems to be solved on a paper. It's like a math equation, mm-hmm. you know? this many brown people added to this white place equals this much representation that we could tick off in the box and we're going to solve racism and we're going to solve racism by being politicians and doing the status quo yeah um and then sitting there being like oh like they're turning my life into a math equation essentially and being like how detached do you have to be which again like fosters that loneliness of saying this is about who I am. And for you, this is about something that you, you know, joke around about or try to solve at a party. It's like a party trick for you. Yeah. And I remember coming to visit you and always saying like, why at every party that we're at, we're having these political discussions with, yes, you're all predominantly white people who have never had these lived experiences. Mm -hmm. And like you said, they're just looking at it like it's an equation to solve. And I think also when you said alienation before, that really like hits the nail on the head because I think that's what fosters these feelings of loneliness is just being alienated from the people that you're around and whether it's in the workplace or in social settings or family settings, anywhere that you are, when you feel alienated you're always going to feel lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Which was another question I had, which is like, how do you manufacture loneliness in a setting, right? Like I think about this in any space, including social spaces. How do you create a setting, social, cultural, whatever, that leads to certain people feeling lonely? And you touched on this a little bit about assumptions. You make assumptions about those people. Mm-hmm. But what else do you think is, you know, if we're going to play that formula game, like what else is that formula or that ingredient, that recipe that ends up yielding loneliness? I think, and I don't know how some people are going to feel about this, but I also think sometimes it's within ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I will go to... A party and I will automatically assume that everyone is looking at me like who's this white girl that they've brought Mm -hmm. or like she doesn't know the language or she doesn't know the culture and I will go into a setting thinking that um I really don't know though if everyone is thinking those things about me right so I think it's also within ourselves something that Um, when we experience it so much, we automatically in our minds think like, this is what's going to happen. And, and this is how it's going to be. But then do you think it's not actually within ourselves? Because at some point you had felt that way. And I'm assuming you've felt that way multiple times Yeah, to have to lead to that. No, absolutely. So I, like I said, I think when you felt that way so many times, you carry it with you. Mm no matter like every every setting that you're in you carry those feelings mm-hmm. with you and you kind of carry that loneliness with you and i think that helps foster it now on the other hand if you are going to a workplace and it's all predominantly white people and no one's making an effort to uh learn anything about the world or mm-hmm. other people's lived experiences then of course that's going to foster um 
alienation for other people but i do think it's something that we we carry with us Mm -hmm. yeah i agree with you i think it stays it's not like a okay i'm done this social situation or i'm done this workplace and it's gone gone. yeah yeah i think the other one is tokenism and that kind of goes again with your assumption assumption is a really good word you brought up but it's this idea that adding more people that look like you will solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And so if we shift gears right now and we talk about belonging, then what is true? Like, what is the difference between representation and belonging? I feel like it's, you know, it's not about numbers. It's about genuine, like genuine understanding that different people of different lived experiences can have qualifications for, you know, whatever job you need them to have or that different people with different lived experiences can be people you get along with and want to be friends with Mm -hmm. you know what I mean in a social setting it's let's take your social setting you know if a lot of those South Asian people sat there and said you know this person is equally may may as well be equally connected to the culture as I am maybe because in in your reality you've pursued it more like you know so much more about South Asian culture sometimes than I do because I have had it for granted right I've just been seeped in it both my parents are Pakistani whereas you have learned you know you've watched more movies you've listened to more songs you've understood cultural traditions more um so I think like if people went in like thinking that that this person might actually know more or might know as much about this culture and might enjoy it, might respect it, might love it as much as I do, then you've it's less about, you know, that feeling of alienation or that assumption. It's more about maybe giving this person a fair shot mm-hmm. to then let them tell you how much they know about this culture or how much you know. And I'm also wondering how you feel sometimes being the token half white half brown person well i think this is a topic that i could go on and on and on (laughs) and about just about the fetishization of mixed race Mm -hmm. people in general we tend to always think it somehow always becomes a sexual thing a lot of the times um and that's more so i find with young some younger generations but also some older men I found have made calm even at at work you know people will look at my name tag and I had one man like your name is you know Yasmin Shaw and I was like yes you're right it's right there for you to read (laughs) and he was like why and I like my parents really like that name right like I don't I don't know what else to tell you and then where you know the where are you from this was a a Pakistani man. Mm-hmm. And then like the co- the comments that come of it like well you're you're you know beautiful and you're and uncomfortable things, you know, people must like that you're mixed and mm-hmm. mixed people are always more, you know, prettier and there mm-hmm. it just the appeal is there and I'm like that's not who I am yeah. as a person. We should do an episode on that. <laughs> my head's going to colonization colonization yes colonization absolutely and then that's on the the other hand is when i look at things on from like an equity based standpoint you know all of the things that i've learned just from working with ally squared too i'm like you only like me because i'm half white yeah like if you were half anything, anything else, else 
it would be the exact opposite reaction. Yeah, so it would be the exact opposite or it would actually be worse. So I find when I talk to other mixed race people who are not like their other counterpart is not Mm -hmm. white, it's Mm -hmm. something else. They have terrible experiences with over-sexualization mm-hmm. and fetish- fetishization of their race mm-hmm. um, that I don't experience. Mm-hmm. And I find that it is all just completely rooted in colonial ideals. Mm-hmm. Like when you're white, you have like a certain type of respect for white women, right? Yeah. That everyone is supposed to hold you mm-hmm. to a higher standard. So people are disrespectful, but they keep the disrespect to a certain level. Interesting. But they'll never be as disrespectful to me as they will be to, let's say, someone who's half black, half Filipina, mm-hmm. right? Like they never will. Mm-hmm. They'll just, that will all always be more sexualization, more fetishization. Yeah, and so when you're talking about belonging here, your example of that Pakistani man just coming up to you when you're working, like, he's just, like, there's in-group, there's out-group. He just put you in the out-group immediately. Immediately. Yeah, and so when we talk about feeling belonging, like, there is classifications that mm. people can put you in, even by the way that they speak, right? Like, I've noticed sometimes with you, like, people, especially in South Asian settings, people will over-explain things to you, and I'm, like, sitting there, and I'm like, she knows so much more. <laughs> like, you know, they'll be like, oh, you know that Bollywood song? Like, it's about this or whatever. And I'm just sitting there being like, no, please explain that to me. I have <laughs> no idea what any of that is about. You can name any Bollywood movie and I couldn't tell you the plot kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas you can name any Bollywood movie to you and you'll know the entire plot. You'll know the cast. You'll know what they wore. You know what song <laughs> it's in there. Like, you'll know everything. And right. so they've outgrouped you immediately. And so I think when it comes to belonging at least in the workplace, it's really important to understand that it's not just about adding people to the mix. It's Mm. also about making sure that your workplace culture is conducive. So like whenever we get training inquiries on how, like on hiring, a lot of people will say like how to reduce like unconscious bias, how to make sure that your hiring process is equitable. And 99.9% of the time, our entire training is focused on workplace culture. Mm -hmm. And then people get confused. They're like, but we talked about, like, we asked you to talk about hiring. And I'm like, yeah, I'm telling you how to make it safe for you to even start that hiring process. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. I've been in so many, like, I can remember one particular job where I was hired as, like, an intern while I was in school. And I entered the room and every single person was white. And I just sat there and I was like, oh, that's why I was hired. And it's now I'm at a point where I'm like, oh, I'll fight for my qualifications. I work damn hard to get mm-hmm. like where I wanted to be. And so I'll fight to get the recognition that I need. But at that point, I didn't have the like the work experience, the skills, the qualification or the confidence to assert myself. And I just sat there and I was like, OK, so the next eight months that I'm doing this internship, I know I will be the token. And then I had to turn myself into how can I prove myself more than the token? And now looking back at that point, I was so proud of myself because at the end of the internship, they were so proud of me and they loved me and they really loved the way mm. I wrote and all of that. But now I'm looking back and I'm like, how screwed up was that? That I had to think that like I need to fight to be recognized as more than, you know, the one diversity, the colored hire they got in there or whatever, you know, Mm. they had phrased it as at their internal meetings before I came on. 
So do you find that you have had to work to not buy into the tokenism? Yeah. And I think it's so much harder to also find jobs. Like when I was job searching, the first thing I would do is like pull up their our team page. Mm. And I would just like vet organizations based on that. Even if I love the work they were doing, I can think of three organizations whose work I absolutely loved that was like completely in line with what I wanted to do, but I just did not apply because I looked at their organization and I knew what was going to come with that. And again, that's back to assumptions. I made those assumptions as a way to keep myself safe, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think sometimes it's really, really hard to be in these spaces and, and then the intersections of it too, right? Like you can have, with me, you get the immigrant token, you get the the women token, you get the young person token, you get the racialized token, you get so many different tokens that I'm like this tied up neat little package that like, you know, they hand to their superiors or they hand to their PR team is like, look all these things she has that like, you know, mm-hmm. and the fact that I do, you know, I have public speaking experience and I can assert myself in spaces and all of that. They like that even more because they're like, oh, we'll just record a video with her or, you know, we'll stick her on, you know, our Instagram and it'll look like a certain thing. And so it sucks sometimes to have to vet organizations whose work I really love and that I have to like self-select myself out of it because I shouldn't have to be able, like I shouldn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. I should be able to apply to anything with the confidence that, you know, I'm going to be assessed on my merit. But that's not the reality. And that's, again, part of belonging is I think when people look at hiring and recruitment, they don't realize how much their website page or their social media profiles or their um, employees' LinkedIn profiles can tell you about exactly what the workplace culture is. And so when it comes to fostering belonging enough so that you're avoiding tokenism and you're making people of all lived experiences feel safe and Mm -hmm. like active members of the group, you really have to make sure that you're thinking about it holistically down to your employee's LinkedIn page because it says so much. Like if the ED of an organization has only worked with other white people, it's going to be an uphill battle for them too. So what would you say? I, I would say that safety for me, I think, would foster the most feeling of belonging because even if even if there's not a ton of other people who look like me, if you're at least making me feel safe and you're making the effort consciously, um, that would help me. What would you say helps you feel the most belonging in the workplace? Respect. Mm. Because I think just the nature of all of my identities does not award me any respect with the way society's structured. Like I think... For me, respect is really important because I think it goes both ways. And I'm a big proponent of, and I think Ally Squared proves that, at least I hope that it proves that, is that people can be of any age and at any point in their career or their life and teach you so much and Mm -hmm. have gotten, gained so much knowledge, whether that be formal knowledge or informal knowledge. And so I'm a big person of like, no matter what that person's age is and that background is, Like there's so much for them to teach you and mentor you. Mm -hmm. And so that's so closely tied with respect. And there's so many times where I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I'm, I'm being exploited. 
I'm not being respected. I'm being exploited in how much work I've been given just because you think that I can take it on, right? And because you feel that I have to prove myself to you. Mm -hmm. But the point is like you hired me because you thought I was qualified. And of course I have to learn a lot of things. And that's part of every job is you do learn, you know, 10 years into the job, 10 months into the job kind of thing. But you have to respect that the person has certain expertise that you don't have that you needed to hire them for. And so I think something that tokenism misses or bad representation misses is respect. And respect leads to safety too, mm. right? Mm -hmm. But um, I think one way to start thinking about respect, and I'm seeing this narrative start building now, is stop thinking about like racialized people as diversity hires. Mm. And I think that's a big one is talking to your team before you even start hiring someone about like, why, why is it that in our posting we write like someone has lived experience of this? Like, what does that mean for someone to have lived experience of this thing? And what is the ramifications of that? Because if this person with the lived experience of X thing comes into our space and none of us, none of the rest of us have lived experience of that thing, how is even a press release or a tweet or a picture going to affect them? in ways that it doesn't affect us? And how do we respect that they will need certain space and certain resources to be able to operate with that lived experience that we will not need? Mm -hmm. So for example, you know, the organization's working on anti-racism and it's a mostly, you know, white organization, first of all, so many red flags, but how are we gonna welcome more racialized people in here Plus, make sure that they have, like, mental health supports. Make sure right. that they have community connections that they can stay with, that they can operate within with their jobs. How can we just give them a seat at the table, you know, at board meetings or at leadership meetings so that we're using it and respecting it and not exploiting them for it? Mm -hmm. Do you think it's easy to kind of, miss, like, mix, mix that and tokenism up a little bit? Like, if someone goes in with the intention of everything that you just said, do you think it can kind of be misconstrued or mm -hmm. it can lead to tokenism? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, I think it comes back to like really thinking things through. And the thing that I don't like about the activist culture right now is that it's so action focused and action is good and it's needed. I mean, look at Ally Squared's mission, changing mm -hmm. performative allyship to active allyship. Mm -hmm. But if we don't think the active allyship through, then we're just causing harm. Yeah. So if like our reaction is more add people to committees, add people to projects, like whatever, but we're not thinking about the emotional labor that comes with that. We're not thinking about the compensation and the resources that come with that. And we're not thinking about the respect that needs to come with that. Like, cause the fact is if you're a white organization doing anti-racism work and you're hiring, let's say a black person or an indigenous person, then they have, they should have more say than you. They should have more say than the ED or the CEO on the way products are designed. But most often that's not it. They're consulted, which essentially is, you know, asked a question and then usually ignored or asked a question and then embraced and then said, oh, actually, we don't have enough time and resources to make this happen. Mm. Yeah. So I guess, I guess that comes back to what you were talking about, respect. 
Yeah. Because when you truly are respecting your employee and you're respecting their lived experiences, that is not your reaction towards um, them coming onto your team. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you the reverse of the question I asked you at the start is, have you ever been in a space where you felt like you belonged? And what does that feel like? Um, I think if I were to really think about it, I feel most like I belong with my friends. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever had a workplace experience where I felt completely like I belonged. And that may also be because I can be quite a private person as well. Mm -hmm. So I just feel like, well, you don't really know me that well. You don't Mm -hmm. really know what I'm all about. So I think that's also part of feeling belonging is when you truly feel like people know you Mm -hmm. um and just my workplace is not an environment that would foster that i'm Mm -hmm. in the corporate world so that's not what we're about (laughs) Uh, unfortunately (laughs) but i think like ally squared makes me feel like i belong and just when i'm i'm with my immediate group of friends Mm -hmm. that's when i feel most me Okay, so belonging for you feels like when you're the most me and you're free to be that way. Yeah, yeah, that's my that's my feeling of belonging. When I just feel acceptance and like I can just truly be who I am and no one's gonna look at me weirdly or make a joke or a comment about where I'm from or mm-hmm. you're what not I'm the doing. I, yeah, when I just feel like my guard my guard is down. Yeah, that's a really good. I think I agree with you and. I don't think I've had a workplace yet where I do feel like that, but I have felt, and the only way to describe it is magic. I have felt absolute magic, absolute intimate human connection when I'm in spaces like Ally Squared. And I talk about Ally Squared a lot, so maybe I should give a different example. Um, I work with an organization called Girls 20 a lot, Mm. and they were there at the start of my career kind of thing and have always supported me. And I I told you this last week is I always say yes when they ask, like they ask for me to be part of something, you know, Mm -hmm. even if it's small, if it's recording a testimonial or it's like joining an advisory committee or anything, you know, Mm -hmm. I always say yes. And that's not always because I think, you know, this is going to get me ahead of my career. It's 90% of the time it's because I know, number one, I'm respected Number two, I'm appreciated. Mm -hmm. And number three, I feel like even though, you know, not everyone at Girls 20 looks like me, they make me feel so, so important in a space. Mm -hmm. And they make everyone, and I'm speaking for other people, but from what I can sense, they make everyone feel very supported and important in a Mm -hmm. space. And I think that magic, and I've also felt that way when I meet other young racialized founders. Mm. Um, I think because of Ally Squared, I've, I do a lot of networking with those people because number two, we're all learning from each other. It's so hard to do it that you've got to figure it out together. But also number two, that I'm always curious about how they lead teams, right? Mm-hmm. As young people or how they navigate bigger nonprofits while operating a smaller nonprofit and those kinds of things. And there's a look, and I've had this with every first meeting I've had, there's a look, there's a look we give each other And it's like, I know what you're going through and you know what I'm going through and, you know, claps for the amount of work that you're doing and the amount of effort and the space that you're cultivating. Mm. And then it goes vice versa. And I just always leave those meetings like feeling very, very emotional because 
it feels like someone understands you. And not only do they understand you, it's like getting a hug, right? All Mm. these meetings have been virtual, but it's like getting a hug and being like, yeah, I understand. It's okay. Like, you know, props to you for doing all the good, but like, I'm also there for all the the crap stuff that happens within these spaces. And so I think for me, that appreciation, that feeling like you're important in a room and that everyone is important in a room. It's not just you, but like, you make an addition into a room. You make mm. a contrib- contribution into the room. It's not just you're there kind of thing. Wouldn't be the same without, without you, you being yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. And the way that I've seen that cultivated is to see people as humans and not as labor. And again, we can have a whole different conversation on that. But I think in a lot of workplaces, I'm seen as labor. Mm. In these spaces, I'm seen as a human who has been driven to, you know, out, creating Ally Squared or right. to being a part of this thing or being a part of that thing. And I think um, Megan, Holly, and Noor are on, in the call right now, our Zoom call recording for this podcast episode. And I think, like, I can say that every single person on our podcast team, like, imagine not having Noor on our podcast team. Like, we wouldn't have a podcast. Yeah. It would sound so bad. Yeah. Or like having Holly do the research and like share ideas with us or Megan like setting us, you know, that that's what it is. It's like without any of them, there wouldn't be an Ally Squared podcast. Mm-hmm. And without their ideas, we wouldn't be, you know, this conversation mm-hmm. and the respect that that garners and the appreciation that that garners, I think, can foster a lot more belonging because you when you know you're important you want to contribute more I'd say yeah you want to contribute more and again you feel more your guards down you feel Mm -hmm. more like I can talk to you I can tell you my ideas and what I have to say is important all of those things and nothing bad ever comes from that yeah only good things can come from that absolutely and it's like you said you put your guard down and then also other people are seeing you as more human right like you can speak in the ways you naturally speak you can share the stories you naturally want to share and it's it's not just we're doing a job and then after this episode recording is done like it's it you know it's hey what did you think was that good or it's like hey like that felt so awesome to do together like you know hey like thanks for taking it you know time out of your day and it's all of those things that you're like oh, yeah, like, I want to come back here in two weeks and do this all over again kind of yeah. thing. And I think the difference is also, like, your how you feel emotionally. You could feel dri- – like, I find when I go to work and mm-hmm. I'm in that, you know what I, t- I tell you, my customer service voice and my, <laughs> like, my corporate vibe that I have to have. Mm-hmm. But I f- – feel drained when I come home and you see it like I'm like don't talk to me for the rest of the night (laughs) I'm going to bed I'm taking the dog to my room and we're going to bed yeah I can't speak to anyone like I'm over it but on the opposite end when I have an ally squared meeting with everyone I never feel that emotional drain I never feel that I need to go be alone now I need to go, you know, recoup, recharge my social battery. It never feels draining. You always, and I, I can tell with you too, like versus 
for example, when you work with Girls 20, mm-hmm. you come out of those meetings like revitalized <laughs> and feeling great. She's like a whirlwind around the apartment <laughs> afterwards because you just feel good about it and you feel good about what you're doing and the people that you're talking to and the things you're talking about and the difference that you're making and you feel important. So I think that feeling of belonging makes so much difference in the rest of your life not even just in in a workspace or in that one social social setting that you might be in but just all around Mm -hmm. absolutely you're 100 percent right and i think sometimes i try to speak in the language of the best interests of an employer in order to i'm a big person of trying to explain it to them the way that'll help them Mm. but really I'm trying to help the other people Mm -hmm. and I think something that I always say to um employers is that it's in your best interest to cultivate that kind of space Mm -hmm. because you're getting committed employees who actually want to do the work so they're doing the best work you're getting creativity and innovation which there is no amount of money that can pay for creativity and innovation. It happens when people feel like being creative and innovative. Mm. You're, it's in your best interest. You're going to have better work done when you invest more time in creating a culture that has that belonging. And that culture where people want to come to work. Where like, I really, really, really hate that it's Saturday. I've never met someone like that. But I really, really hate that it's Saturday because, you know, I can't go into work today kind of thing because yeah. I have this great idea. Or I'm... In the shower and I'm still thinking about that awesome project because I can't wait to add to it kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think what we really have been getting at is that belonging is great. Mm-hmm. It's a loneliness great feeling. And loneliness <laughs> is not a great feeling. No, I think this is a good first episode we did because it touches on so much of like deep-seated feelings that mm-hmm. a lot of people feel. And I'm really excited for this season because I think we're going to be able to talk about things that don't always get discussed in this kind of perspective. And I'm so excited to have more Ally Squared people on. Mm. First of all, I love all those people. But number two, I think they have some really, really awesome ideas to share with us. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think I'd encourage everyone to continue listening to the ways that this progresses and let us know how you see the change and Yasmin and I, because I think I have a very sneaky suspicion that being able to talk about these things on a bi-weekly basis is like, it's kind of like group therapy, right? It's a little bit like therapy. You, me, and everyone listening is going through this together. Yes. Um, and yeah, I'd love to see like at the end of this season, how we look back at these first couple episodes and understand ourselves maybe a little more or feel like we have now understand ourselves a little more that we have some sense of direction about how we want to pursue other spaces in our lives yeah absolutely and for our listeners we'd love to know how it makes you feel and if you relate to us in the same way so you can always let us know too on social media you can reach out to us um, check out Ally Squared's other projects at Ally Two Squared, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, we'll see you soon, everyone. Thanks, thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Bye.